Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for your power that you are greater than anything that comes our way, that we have nothing to fear. You are the mighty one that leads us. Lord, that we are your children and you want to keep us remembering always who you are. Lord, as we look at this verse today that we're going to study, we just ask you to guide and lead as we look at it. In Jesus' name, amen. Philippians chapter 1, verse 7. We're only going to do one verse today, but we're going to go all through the Bible in the process. So, even as it is meant for me to think of you all, because I have you in my heart, insomuch as both in my bonds and in my defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers of my grace. This is an interesting one because Paul is expressing the pastoral heart he has for the Philippians. And for somebody who is called to be a pastor, they all have that same attitude toward their church. They're, they're drawn to their church for good and bad, <laughs> for hardship, for easy, because this is the family. And everybody knows when you're in a family, there's good days with the family and there's bad days with the family. But the pastor's heart is drawn to their congregation to care for, to love them. And Paul says, you know, we talked about in the verse 6 that we talked about last week, he was confident that he who had begun a good work would complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Because he knew that he was just the one that gets to teach. And that, that's the fun thing about being a teacher, being a pastor. All i got to do is tell you what God says. <laughs> what you do with it is between you, you and God. But it also is the heartbreak of a pastor and a teacher when they teach something and watch people not apply it to their life. And you go, God, I'm just going to keep praying for them. I'm going to pray for them. And you know, one thing I've noticed in the scriptures, and God keeps repeating himself in the scriptures. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. As a pastor, we get to keep repeating ourselves to our church, but God in the scriptures kept repeating himself to, his, to us as well. It's not an unusual thing. We as sinners, uh, we forget. And sometimes we have to hear something about a hundred times before we remember it. <laughs> Uh, and sometimes you want to, you know, can you remember when you were raising your kids? How many times do I have to tell you? <laughs> you know, God already led the, led, the, led, led the way. He keeps telling us over and over and over again. Sometimes many times in the same book. Sometimes it's many times over the scope of the Bible. But God has patience with us. And I am so thankful that he has patience with us. Because he is going to complete the work. The more we let him crucify our flesh, the more he will complete it. And we can sit there and fight with him, and most of us do quite often. We fight with him about being changed, and he's saying, I'm just going to keep changing you. You can let me crucify you. Eventually you will, because God keeps giving you the same test until you pass it. And then he goes to the next test. So we'll be taking tests the rest of our time on earth. But we look at this and he says, I am, con uh, excuse me, verse 7, even as it is met for me to think this. Now this word met is quite interesting because it is thinking and feeling and acting conforming to the will of God. Okay, so he's saying it's right for me because I am thinking and acting according to the will of God. And I wanted to kind of really look at this. What is the will of God for us? Now, I'm not going to tell you what the plan of God is for you because that's individualized for every single person and I can't begin to tell you what his plan for you is. But his will, the scriptures are very clear as to what his will is for us. And we're going to look at some of them. 
And if you didn't know what God's will in your life is, you will today. <laughs> uh, so first thing we're going to do is we're going to go to 1 Thessalonians. And if you want to just uh, let me read them and write them down on your notes, that's fine. Because I've got them. I cheated. I got them marked. <laughs> because I wanted to go through a lot of verses quickly. 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 4, verse 3. And it says, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lust of comprehence, even as the Gentiles which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. God's will here, that we be sanctified. That we be sanctified. And that's going to be the first point on this. Sanctification. What does it mean to be sanctified? It means to be made perfect. Now, when we are saved... We accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. God justifies us from the throne of heaven. He says we are perfect. Now, anybody who's walked with God for any length of time, especially those who've walked with him for a long period of time, know that we're not perfect. And the more we get closer to God, the more we realize that we're not perfect. And it's kind of a from the flesh's point of view, it seems kind of strange. You go, okay, I'm, I'm walking with God, I should be getting perfect. And yes, I will say we get more perfect. But by the same token, God reveals to us how imperfect we really are. Because the, in Jeremiah, it tells us the heart is wicked, deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? And when we first start trying to be sanctified, we usually think we're pretty, you know, we're pretty good. We're, we, we're okay. All I got to do is get rid of these really big things in my life. You know, quit lying or... Quit, quit doing drugs, quit doing alcohol, quit, quit sleeping around, and I'll be, all, I'll be all okay. So we get those out of our life, and then God opens up the light on our heart and says, okay, now let's start working on your thoughts. That's where we'll spend the rest of our life being sanctified in, our thought life. Because Jesus said, if you lust after the person, you've committed adultery. If you've been angry with a brother without reason, You've committed murder in your heart. And God is going to spend the rest of our time on this world showing us how evil our heart is. Now, I don't say that to make us despair because, yes, we are getting better if you're following God. You should be getting better. You should be able to look at your life and say, I no longer do this, this, and this. I no longer say this, this, this. I no longer think whatever it is that you're not thinking. But you also look and say, well, there's a lot more to go. And this is where I'm at. As I've walked with God for 44 years, I look at my life and say, God, is there ever going to be an end? And the answer is no. <laughs> Not until I'm glorified, which means I'm dead or I'm raptured. <laughs> then God says, now I'm going to make you who I say you are. Those are the three parts of salvation, and we want to keep those in mind all the time when we're reading Scripture. Who God says we are, our positional truth. I am perfect. When Satan comes and attacks us, Saying, we're not worth anything. We're, we're terrible. Yes, you're absolutely right. I am worthless and terrible, but God says I'm perfect. I am in the righteousness of Christ. Now, I know that I'm not, and I know that I'm going to have to learn to be sanctified. But that is God's will, that we be sanctified. How is he going to do that? 
He's going to put you in all kinds of tests to help, help perfect it, help put it, burn it out of you, help you reveal that it's, that it's not correct. He's going to have you reading the scriptures and say, oh, no, I've got to change the way I live. He's going to have you listening to some message from a, from a Sunday school teacher or a pastor or some radio preacher or somebody, and, you, and you're going to go, they're going to say something, and God's going to say, that's for you. <laughs> Those times when you get your toes stepped on in, in a message. Been there, done that many times growing up. Have my toes stepped on very often. God, did that, does that, that preacher really talking to me? <laughs> How did he know that I was doing that or had those problems? He didn't. The Spirit did. But that first statement is, his goal is our sanctification. And how do we do that? We start learning to be obedient. Colossians. Chapter 4, verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of, the, of you, a servant of God, salutes you, always laboring fervently in his prayers, that you may be, stand perfect and complete all in all the will of God. Again, sanctification, standing perfect and complete. Just as we read in the first, in verse 6 of Philippians. God will complete the work he has begun. We cannot complete the work. We cannot make ourselves sanctified. We can open ourselves to God to allow him to sanctify us. Because otherwise, all we're doing is disciplining our flesh. And if we discipline our flesh, and you think you're doing really well in something, and you haven't let God take it away from you, he will set you up a situation that will let it come out. This is something that I have found many times. Okay, God, I've got this problem all taken care of my life. I really didn't need you to help me. And the next thing you know, you're falling flat on your face. You're working on your temper. You've got, you've got your temper under control for, for three hours. <laughs> God, I've got it. I'm under, I've got it all taken care of. And all of a sudden, things happen that all of a sudden, you explode. And you go, well, I guess I didn't have that all taken care of after all. That is why Galatians 2.20 is important. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. God will come in and he will crucify the flesh. And he comes in and he changes who we are permanently, not the way we would do it in our flesh. But we look at this and God is going to be the one that completes the work. 1 John 2, verse 3. And hereby we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keeps not his commandment, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keeps his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected, whereby know we that we are in him. He that saith he abides in him ought also himself to walk even as he walked. If God is truly living in us, he's changing us. And James goes very clear on this. He goes, if you say you have faith but you don't have works, you can't prove that you have faith. Why? Because there's no evidence. 
God, I believe in you. James did not say you, that's not necessarily a true statement, but you cannot prove that you are one of Jesus' children if you don't live as one of his children. If you are truly one of his children, you are going to grow in Christ. You are going to grow and be sanctified. So if you are the same as you were four years ago when you first got saved or however long you got to go back, and you're still the same exact person, using the same language, thinking the same things, acting the same way, you have to really take a look at yourself and say, is Christ in me? Is Christ truly in me? If I'm still speaking the same way, acting the same way, doing the same things, and I'm not being changed, I have to wonder, is there a God in me changing me? Now, it doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. Don't get me wrong. I don't ever want you to think all of a sudden you've got to be perfect, otherwise God's not there. But he has to be changed. And I know that many of you know what I'm talking about. You don't say the same things you used to say. You don't get angry about the same things you used to get angry about. You're more loving and more forgiving toward people. You don't think the same way as the world. You don't think the same way you used to think. These are important because it is so critical that we are being sanctified because that is God's will for us. It is his will that we be sanctified. And that means we are going to change. And hopefully you've known enough Christians that you've watched them change over time. And you, and you say, wow, I really like how much you've changed. You, you're no longer saying the same things you're, you're, that you used to say. You're, no, you're, you're more pleasant to be around. You're not as critical as you used to be. You're more loving. You're more forgiving. We need that in our own life. And it's not, again, it's not us that does it. It's Christ doing it through us. Because his job is to sanctify, which means we are washed. How are we washed? We're washed through the power of God's word. Romans 12. And many of you might have this verse memorized. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your minds by the word of God. How do we get changed? We get into the word. We spend time in his word. We listen to his word being taught. We meditate on his word. We study his word. His word will change the way we think. And this verse says, be not conformed to this world. Romans 12.2. And it starts out, and we could actually have started in 12.1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Our job is to sacrifice our flesh to God and not be conformed to this world. There are so many churches and Christians out there that are being conformed to this world today, and it's really sad. I heard somebody just the other day say, well, my friend said that there are many good churches that believe that this activity, that certain sins are okay. Well, my first question would be, define a good church. Okay, it, this church may be going out feeding the, feeding the poor and the hungry and paying bills for somebody and have a good, feel-good message. But if they're changing the word of God where God says something's a sin and calling it okay, they are not a good church. A good church is going to lift up God's word. So we have to first go off, how are you defining good? What did Jesus say when the, when the scribe goes, good master? Because why do you call me good? There is none good. 
Basically, he was saying, are you really calling me the son of God because that's the only one that's going to be good? We need to keep this in mind. How are we changed? We cannot be conformed to this world, and it is easy to be conformed to this world. Very easy to be conformed to this world. If you watch a lot of television and read a lot of uh, newspapers and, and magazines and stuff, you are probably getting yourself conformed to the world if you're not careful because you're being bombarded with the world's opinion of things. It's easy for it to happen. And this is why we are to be transformed. That word is metamorphed. And it's the same word as we use for the butterfly, the caterpillar that becomes metamorphed into a butterfly. Goes in the cocoon as a caterpillar and comes out as a totally different creature, a butterfly. God says that we are to go in we go in with worldly into our cocoon, and he transforms us into a brand new creature that comes out. How does he do that? Through his word. Through his word. In Corinthians, we're told we are therefore a new creation in Christ. And you keep noting the phrase in, the, in all of the epistles, you're going to find the phrase, in Christ. We can do nothing without Christ. But in Christ, there is nothing we can't do. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I can do anything through Christ because it's him that does it. I just stand back and let him work. And, and we want to keep that in mind. Our, our, the will of God is that we be sanctified. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 5, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. What's the will of God? Sanctification. When we go through hard times and we are being unsanctified, we are to give thanks. Now I'm given a different definition of that verse than I've ever heard anybody ever teach. Because most people will teach it, give thank, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in concerning you because he's saying give thanks. We're giving thanks even during the hard times because we are being sanctified. And because we're being sanctified, we are to give thanks. How easy is that to do? Well, as you learn to do it, it becomes easier. <laughs> At first, it's very hard. God, these terrible things have been happening to me. I'm really not happy. That's our prayer as a young Christian, usually. God, everything's miserable. You're, everything's bad. How come all these bad things are happening? But the mark of the mature Christian is, God, thank you. You're, you're improving me. God, thank you. This is for my good. Is it easy to do? No. Will you slip and fall even as a mature Christian? Absolutely. But we need to get to the place where we recognize what is God's will? That we be sanctified. How are we going to get sanctified? Well, it's going to take something that kills. If you want to sanctify something, you either have to heat it up, which is what they did to the gold until the, all the impurities came out, or you get disinfectant, which kills the germs and stuff, which the germs don't like the disinfectant if they had emotions. <laughs> You're not going to like it when God sprays the, the word of God to clean you, clean you up. It's going to hurt sometimes. When he puts that scrub pad on you and it scrubs it off, it's going to hurt. When he puts you through the fire, it's going to hurt. But his goal is not to hurt you. His goal is to sanctify. We need to keep this in mind. When we go through hard times, it's for our good that God is sanctifying us. And we go, thank you, God, 
not for the pain, not for the heat, but thank you for what you're going to accomplish. If you're ever thanking God because you're hurting, you've got other problems you have to deal with. <laughs> but you need to be in a place where you're thanking God, saying, thank you, God, you're going to accomplish something through this. And this is what it's all about. His will is that we be sanctified. So now you know what the will of God is. So when people tell you, well, we don't know what it is, well, we know. We know exactly what the will of God is. Now, we don't know his plan necessarily. He only, usually he only re reveals part of his plan to us at a time. Because we'd probably be scared to death if he showed us in his entire plan for us immediately. He goes, okay, you're, you're starting here where you can barely crawl, and I'm going to take you up here where you're running. You know, that would be like telling somebody when they're six years old and loving football, okay, you're going to play in the NFL tomorrow. <laughs> Poor kid would get killed. <laughs> and it doesn't know enough. But over, over 12 years of playing, they might get good enough to actually play at that level. So we look at this, and, that's our, and that is his will. And then it says, because I have you in my heart. You're going to be sanctified, and I'm praying for you, and I'm loving you because God will complete the work. He's going to complete that work. And it says, insomuch as you are both in my bonds and in my defense and the confirmation of the gospel, we are all partakers of my grace. Remember we said this is a prison, prison letter. Paul is in prison in Rome. He is not going to come out of that prison alive when he's writing these letters. He is facing the executioner. And he's still showing people that he loves them. He cares about them. He's more concerned about them. Because there are many people that are really sad. This is, this is Paul. <laughs> you know, this is the founder of their church that's getting ready to be executed. This is somebody who's very special to them. This would be like the person, whoever your discipler is, who really teaches you the, one you, the one you count on saying, this is the person I count on teaching me God's word. That person going to be killed within the next 30 days. And this is what Paul's saying. I love you. I care for you. And God's got a plan. Keep going. And then he says, in his defense. The Greek word his is apologio which means apology. And we've taught this before. An apology is to give a reason for. Now, I know in English we usually use apology to just say, I'm sorry. You know, you know we tell our kids, you know, apologize to your brother. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, you're saying it only because you were told to say it, but you really aren't sorry. But in reality, an apology, a true apology is to give the reasons for what you did. So an apology might be, well, I hit you because you took my toys and you're not going to take my toys anymore because they're my toys. <laughs> that truly is an apology. It's not what we want our kids to be saying to one another. But that would be an apology. This is what I did. This is why I did. And if you do it again, I'm going to do it again. <laughs> okay, that really is an apology. It's a defense. Not quite the defense we want. <laughs> we want them to learn to share and to be kind. For us in the gospel, we're to be ready to give an apology. Why do we believe what we believe? The saddest thing to me is there's so many people who've been sitting in churches for years who can't tell you why they believe what they believe. Well, I believe this because my Sunday school teacher when I was in, in first grade taught this to me. Well, but why? Why do you believe it? It's very important for us to understand on this. And I've heard many people go, well, I just believe it because it's in the Bible. Okay, that's fine. That's a good reason. If that's your reason, that's fine. It's a good reason. 
But you know, God's word is also logical and very correct, and it stands up to being examined. All the people who get into apologetics, the art of, the art of defending the scripture, most of the best ones went in there with the purpose of being an atheist to disprove God in the Bible. <laughs> and what do they do? They find out that it is very logical and absolutely true, and they become the best apologists because they went in with trying to disprove it, and they come out going, it's absolutely true. Never be afraid to ask questions about the Bible. And if you're in some church or some teacher who's telling you, well, don't question it, then get away from them because they shouldn't be asking you to do that. His word stands up. It is true. Truth is never afraid of a lie. All right? I want to say that again. Truth is never afraid of a lie. A truth can be examined and, not, and still hold up. And we all know that for a fact, don't we? If you lie, you're always afraid that somebody's going to look too closely at what you said. But if you tell the truth, you don't care how much they examine what you've said because it's going to hold up. God's word holds up to examination. Lies do not hold up to examination. And we want to keep that in mind. Paul says, you're with me. You're partakers of my defense. And you're partakers of the confirmation of the gospel. The gospel. Jesus died, was buried, and resurrected for us. The verse we're learning for this month. But God commended his love toward us that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. He took our sins upon him. And God did that while we were yet his enemies. We were sinners. We weren't his friends. We weren't believing in him. And Jesus died. Hey, do you, have you ever thought about that? We were literally the enemies of God when he paid the price of our sin. Have you ever heard somebody says, well, I won't forgive so-and-so until they ask for forgiveness? I am so glad that that's not God's way of doing things. God says, I'm ready to forgive you. And I have forgiven you. You reject my son and you're rejected, but I have forgiven you of your sins. We need to get that loving with people. How many times do we have somebody that we see them a long ways off and we go on, I've got to turn around and go the other direction or I've got to hide someplace because I don't, I'm still mad at that person. I don't, want to, I don't want to see them. I don't want to talk to them. It really affects your life to be unforgiving towards somebody. We need to learn to be like God, forgiving them. Does that mean we forgive them and let them keep doing the same thing over and over and over again? No, not necessarily, but we still need to forgive. And that means that we don't bring it to our forefront. We don't use, attack them behind their back. We don't attack them in front of their back. We just let it go. Because in the long scheme of things, it's really not that important. There's a pastor I heard, and his question, and it's not him originally that said this, I'm sure, but he asks himself the question, will this matter in 100 years? You know, if you ask yourself that question about a lot of things, how unimportant are most of the things that come your way truly going to be? Now, there's not a whole lot of things that stand that test. The things that stand that test are going to be things of God that have eternal value. A person being saved is, will matter in 100 years. It will matter in 10 billion years. It will matter in 100 trillion years what they do with Christ. That's important. That should be primary on our mind. 
The fact that I'm upset that somebody took something that belonged to me really won't matter in 100 years because what they took wouldn't exist in 100 years anyway. We need to be careful and learn to be forgiving. Learn to find out what's important in this life and deal with it. So one of the things I learned raising kids is there's certain battles that were worth fighting and some that weren't worth fighting. You know, and you could spend your life trying to fight with your kids over stupid little things that don't really matter. Or you can just say, I'm going to pick the battle that's important. The more we learn to pick the battles that are important, the better off we're going to be. How do we pick those battles? We look at scripture and say, God, what's important? What is eternally important? And then he says that you'll be partakers of my grace. Paul was using himself as an example. Do you live in a way that people can look at you and see an example of how a Christian should live? And I don't expect anybody to answer that, but just really think about that. If people look at you, are they seeing Christ? Are they seeing somebody who generally loves people? Are they seeing somebody who is generally forgiving? Are they seeing somebody who is lovingly interacting with them? Or are they seeing the world backbiting and attacking and having to be the one that has all the right answers? We need to learn to just let God minister to people. Our life really should be something that draws people to Christ and not pushes them away. Now, does that mean that all we use is our life? No, we've got to use words as well. We've got to talk about God once in a while. But our life should draw them in. Many times in my life I've been asked, how do you keep calm when all this is going on? How do you keep a smile on your face? And I love those questions because they go, let me tell you all about God. <laughs> you asked, let me tell you. <laughs> Why did they ask, though? Because in generally I showed Christ to them. Are we going to do that 100% of the time? No. But we should have a lifestyle that when people looks at us, look at us, <laughs> they see Christ, him lifted up. Him raised up in front of them. So we're going to look at this. My challenge for us today is let's let God sanctify us. Let's learn to be rejoicing in that sanctification and lift him up. As we're sanctified, people are going to be drawn to Christ because they're going to see Christ. And so if you need prayer, we just ask you to pray. Today I'm going to ask you to pray, and we're going to close with a prayer asking God to help us in that area. So we're going to look at this. If you want to agree with this and ask this prayer, say it after me and just talk to God. It's between you and God. God, I'm asking you that you teach me to be joyful. Even through the sanctification, help me to understand that it is your will that you're accomplishing, that I can live more like you by being sanctified, and that you will be drawing all people to you through these actions. Help me learn to be joyful and accepting of all that comes my way because it's for my good. I just thank in Jesus' name, amen.